Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Francisco L. Borges and the Melville Charitable Trust. In July of 2023, Connecticut's community colleges will complete a merger that's been years in the making. Through that process, the state's 12 community college campuses will be consolidated into one institution. I think the CT State merger will change a lot of what we do on campus and off for our classes. For starters, students have already experienced lots of changes with their class schedule online with Blackboard, our system that we use. It's consolidated into one system for all the campuses. So in terms of classwork, I don't think that'll change too much in class load. But with professors moving around and classes becoming more accessible, I think it would be a, a good step toward further development on campus. I have met so many people that they have no idea about the merge or that is actually happening. Uh, I met people from other community colleges and they they have no idea that is happening. I'm like, oh, do you know what the merge? And they're like, no, what's that? So we, even myself, I am not really sure of what is going on. Those are voices of Middlesex Community College students talking about the merger last month. This is Disrupted. I'm Kalila Brown-Dean. Later in the episode, you'll hear from faculty and staff in Connecticut's higher education system and from the president of the new Connecticut State Community College, Dr. John Maduco. But first, we hear from Jacqueline Rabe Thomas. She's investigative reporter at Hearst Connecticut Media and previously covered education and housing for Connecticut Mirror. Ask Jacqueline to walk us through the context of this merger. And she started by bringing us back to the 2011 consolidation of Connecticut community colleges and regional four-year universities. It was led by former Governor Daniel Malloy. A few days in office, newly elected Governor Malloy um, was rolling out his legislative agenda as he was facing a $3.6 billion deficit. And so that's massive as far as like the share of budget that he needed to close. So he was looking for ideas on ways to save money, but not try to impact students and the education they were receiving. And so the idea that he had was to shed some administrative office staff at central office, something like 20 positions of the 200 positions that were there would save something like $4 million. And so um, just to put $4 million in context, that's like a rounding error for the community colleges. Um, You know, it seems like a lot of money, but as far as this massive um, college system goes, that's not that much in savings. Um, So it was sort of set up as a way to, to realize some savings, but I think there was also some policy goals there as well to to really help out some students was was the goal. And so um, he rolled out this plan, you know, a few days before his budget was to be released, and it immediately drew outrage of how this is going to impact students, as well as um, whether the core mission of each individual community college would be sacrificed in this. The 2011 plan created the Board of Regents for Higher Education. That single governing body now oversees 12 community colleges, four Connecticut state universities, and the online institution Charter Oak State College. Ask Jacqueline about the more recent merger, the one that will take place in July 2023. 
Not only will it create a more unified system of governance, but the community colleges will now become a single institution known as the Connecticut State Community College. I, I think what we're seeing right now is sort of, you know, phase two of what what started the ball rolling. And so I I feel like what's different now is things like being able to have a single institution to apply to. You don't need to apply to every single different um, school if you want to be able to find a place to complete your credits. Um, same thing for financial aid packages. It's one place that you apply to versus having to go through the application um, and paperwork process at every different location. Um, and so, you know, there are some expe- expectations of how this will improve students. Um, I think that the community college colleges particularly have seen drastic decreases in enrollment. Um, you know, I was looking back to what enrollment was um, back in 2011, and it's been cut almost in half since then. And um, it's it's steadied a little bit more in the last year or two um, because, or rather just this year, it, it's sort of steadied out um, maybe because of the um, free to college for some people that the that the state set up a couple years ago, or um, historically during um, downturns, bad economies, people tend to um, enroll in colleges at a little bit higher rates, and so um, that might have caused it to sort of flatten a little bit. But but look, the the community college system or our high school system in general has a projection of massive declines of number of students who are headed for schools. So when you're thinking about ways to draw more students, to draw more people into the colleges, we're not talking about recent high school graduates. We're talking about people who are already in the communities who maybe would love to get a a degree um, in a liberal arts or a trade or or something like that. One of the things that I think is is a real challenge here is that delicate balance between saving money and not harming the major constituency of community colleges who often are students who are overlooked or managing other life priorities, whether it be working students, those who are raising a family, those who are caregiving, or trying to make movement in the state economy in terms of their profession. How then has the state articulated its commitment to maintaining high quality education for students, but also the staffing that is necessary to do that? So one of the things that um, looking back, college officials and the accrediting agency kept citing the low completion rate of the community college students who were attending Um the overall completion rate was something like 18%. And then when you break out um, different populations um, for the Hispanic population, it was 12%. For um, African-Americans, it was 8% completion rate. Um, But when you dive into that a little bit more, you find out that um, it, you know, a lot of community college students are not able to tend full time. And so expecting graduation within four or six years just isn't feasible. So is that really a good metric to be gra- to be 
measuring the community college system by um, whether or not they're completing within that that shorter time frame for um, you know not your non-traditional student from you know your typical four-year schools who graduate and and can be expected potentially to be graduated in that four to eight year four to six year time period um, and then also wasn't taking into effect transfers and so um, you know a lot of people maybe don't complete college uh, their 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 associate's degree at the community colleges but they use it as a as a launching pad to start um, considering other um, colleges so you know save your save some money at the community colleges and then go to the four-year school um, and so that wasn't taken into account either and so um, the intention behind um, this transfer or this merger rather was to make transfers um, to all the schools. So say that you needed your English course, um, but it wasn't being offered until next semester. That means that a semester that you're not able to graduate, a, a semester that your life is put on hold, or say whatever prerequisite you're, you're looking for, what you need to complete your courses. Um, the idea was uh, under one system, you would be able to enroll any, at any of the schools um, and that you would also be able to um, achieve um, that by doing some online courses as well. Um, if you hear from faculty, they'll say um, online courses are not the same as in person. There's something lost when you expect a student to go online and, and also the expectation that students have that connectivity to the internet and to a computer. Um, and again, there's something lost by not being face to face. Um, and why are community college expected college students expected to get less than of an education because of uh, of this? Given that that history in terms of what we know has already happened in Connecticut, knowing that now this deal is sealed, you know, the accrediting agencies have allowed this to move forward. What's the thing that you're most focused on in terms of what may come next or what we should be paying attention to that's not really being discussed in the public discourse? Sure. I think the the thing that's sort of top of mind is whether or not um, enrollment in, in schools, um, if there's a shift in the type of programming that students have access to. Um, that's a pretty broad statement. So things like uh, access to um, professors who are able to afford to spend the time and energy to um, prepare for courses and provide um, high quality courses. Um, and so that could be for adjuncts as well as faculty. Um, and then as well as um, just access to community colleges. Um, you know, there's a there's a free community college program that um, was has been highly touted on the on the gubernatorial campaign. Has been highly pointed to, um, but I think what's been left out of the conversation is that um, three quarters of community college students do not have access to that program. And so for things like um, they're not taking full-time courses. They've uh, the, there was a recent change so that you are able to participate in that program if you're taking at least six courses, or sorry, six credit hours. Um, but let's be honest, how many working moms or working dads um, are able to take, you know, two or three classes um, versus one class? And so are we really reaching um, the, the, the student who would benefit the most from a free community college program? Um, and so I think um, sort of the quality of education as well as access to um, 
the school, I think, is sort of top of mind for me. And I want to share with our listeners that program is called PACT, Pledge to Advance Connecticut, and it's intended to cover the gap between federal and state grants, community college tuition, and mandatory fees. But there are so many qualifiers and pieces of it that people have to meet all of those qualifications that it can often overlook those who perhaps would be in greatest need of having that support because we know community colleges are transformative for so many people. I started my college education at a community college and it was a game changer for me. Given that, given the concerns that we've mentioned, the programs and recognition that exist, I also want us to think about as we conclude our conversation, the potential benefits of this. Because we have heard students complain of, you know, I want to go to this community college and I want a more seamless transfer system. What do you see then as the possible benefit or benefits of this merge system? I think the promises to students to not have to go through sort of the bureaucratic red tape of, um, you know, Quinnebog versus Middlesex Community College to if one college is has a course that isn't offered at the host college where a student typically takes their course. Um, but Connecticut's a small state. And so the idea that um, traveling, you know, an extra 20 miles to the to the nearest community college that maybe does offer that course that you're really inspired to take, um, I think is is an advantage. Um, I, I also think that this idea of being able to transfer your credits um, more seamlessly to the state's four-year system, and that's sort of, you know, the, the part one of the, the merger, and I know that hasn't been the focus of this conversation, um, but I think instead of 12 individual community colleges, um, seeing if the transfer and articulation policies match up with the whatever four-year college you're going to in the state. Um, I think it's just breaking down some of those um, those thresholds that discourage students and so distrust. That was Jacqueline Rabe Thomas, investigative reporter at Hearst Connecticut Media. Coming up, we'll find out what faculty and staff think of the merger. And we hear from Dr. John Maduco, president of the new Connecticut State Community College. This is Disrupted. We'll be right back. Support for this podcast comes from Hartford HealthCare. Elevating Health is funded by Hartford HealthCare. Loneliness can be a significant health risk to people of all ages. Dr. Laura Saunders, a psychologist from Hartford HealthCare's Institute of Living, talks about social isolation and why we need to connect in person. Loneliness actually is a pretty significant health risk for people that struggle with social isolation. It affects their blood pressure, it affects their immune system, it affects your willingness to get up and get out and can cause some not just emotional issues, but health problems as well. You're not alone. Dr. Saunders explains how important it is for us to look to others and get out of our comfort zone. I like to talk about social isolation as not just that individual's problem, but it's a community problem or it's a family problem. We need to connect with others. We can take space at times as well, but we need to step out of our comfort zone and do things to connect with other people. It's life-saving. For more information, go to ctpublic.org slash health. Welcome back to Disrupted. I'm Kalila Brown-Dean. 
In July 2023, Connecticut's 12 community colleges will be merged into one Connecticut State Community College. It will serve more than 32,000 students across the state. Connecticut public intern Taylor Doyle is a student at Middlesex Community College. She interviewed faculty and staff on her campus about their thoughts on the merger. Here's Professor John Schaefer talking about how the change has impacted him thus far. We are already experiencing huge changes in how we operate and what we do because most of the local positions at our college have been switched to centralized positions. So, for example, now when we hire somebody, we have to go through a centralized HR division, which is kind of set up like a, a little bit like a corporate HR department that would approve and um, make the hire ha- actually happen. We recommend we make the recommendations to them still, but they um, they then have to process it. So. Unfortunately, uh, so far, the experience is that everything is taking a lot longer than it used to be and is a lot more complicated. Um, so that's that's um, one impact. Uh, I mean, the other major impact from a faculty's point of view is that we've had to rewrite every course, every program, every certificate, um, and has, to have, has had to be re-approved. And then we have to try to make a transition from every program, current program that we have to the new programs. So that's a very complicated and involved process. How do you feel about the merge? I have mixed feelings myself. Um, like I said, I'm, I'm very concerned about the, the conversion to a giant government corporate style institution. So I'm not totally sure if that's really going to be for the better. But at the same time, <clears throat> I think there there are p- potential advantages, even for faculty, for example, um, part-time faculty particularly, I think will benefit because um, it'll be just as it is for students, it'll be a lot easier for part-time faculty to move from one college to another. If they, if they want to work at a different college, they don't have to be rehired. Right now, they have to be rehired every time they want to teach at a new community college. So um, there's some things that I think are going to be a benefit for uh, both employees and faculty as well as students. But at the same time, you know, we're, we're losing a sense of our individual identities. The whole history of each of the community colleges and their identities are effectively being lost. Um, and so they're going to, you know, it's much less of a community. An added benefit that Professor Schaefer raised was the addition of Guided Pathways advisors. These advisors take a more holistic approach to advising students by going beyond the traditional focus on academics. Here's one of those Guided Pathways advisors, Rebecca Beltran. She discusses her thoughts on the merger. I have mixed feelings about it. I do see the benefit of you know, making this process easier for students. I understand, you know, there are some things that this campus is able to offer that other campuses might not. And there's stuff that other campuses can offer that we might not. And I have helped students before, you know, who are taking their most of their classes here, but want to visit another campus in order to you know, earn a a requirement that they maybe can't do here or that the schedule doesn't work for them here. And it's, it is kind of, it's challenging having to 
coordinate all that and having to work on consortium agreements. And it's, it's a little bit of a hassle for students. So I do, I am excited about, you know, the ease that this transition is supposed to bring to students um, in order to help them meet all of their requirements and not have to worry about the additional processes that they have to go through. On the other end of the spectrum, I do worry that because each campus has such a different population of students, this merge, what it what it may have a negative effect on is how we are best able to serve each of our specific populations, right? Because our campus, you know, has a very different population than, for example, Gateway or Housatonic, um, and Manchester might have a different population than we do. And usually each campus, um, we want to focus on serving our students, our population, our, our students' needs. And those needs realistically are different at each campus. So that is something that I've heard a lot. It is definitely something that's been uh, a concern of mine is how do we make sure that while we are kind of you know, making sure that everything is cohesive across the board, we also want to make sure that we are meeting the individual needs of our specific populations at our campuses. David Blitz is professor of philosophy at Central Connecticut State University. He's been quite vocal in his opposition to the merger. Back in June, he wrote an op-ed for the Connecticut Mirror saying that the consolidation plan is flawed. Blitz has been a faculty member at CCSU for more than 30 years, and he's currently chair of the Faculty Advisory Committee to the Board of Regents. Listen as he talks about what he thinks this plan could mean for the future of higher ed in Connecticut. There are real problems at the level of the community colleges, and for that matter, at the level of the universities, in terms of declining enrollment, problems of retention and graduation rates, uh, issues involving the achievement gap, between majority and minority students, uh, the fiscal balance and budgetary uh, considerations for the colleges and universities. But the student's first solution, as conceived back in 2017, and you have to realize that we are now in the entering the sixth calendar year of this, uh, of this project, was really a top-down decision which was taken and implemented, at least until recently, in disregard and in opposition to faculty concerns and criticisms. It features over-centralization and delocalization. And by over-centralization, I mean an increase in the levels of management, which initially increased from two levels to four levels of senior management. That's now been ratcheted down back to three with the elimination of the regional presidents who have become uh, uh, executive vice presidents. I'm not quite sure what they do, but that's their title. At the same time, the system office spawned a second system office, which is now being established in uh, New Britain, and the number of senior management has increased, whereas the number of faculty has actually, to some extent, decreased. Uh, That said, the delocalization meant that if we consider now the 12 community colleges, some of which, such as, for example, Northwestern, have been uh, in their community since uh, the 1960s, over 50 years. Those colleges were stripped of the senior leadership. The presidents became CEOs. And as the process stumbled along from 2017 to 2021, the elected representatives 
in the governance bodies at the various colleges uh, were disregarded and uh, and not taken into consideration. So that's what I mean by over-centralization and delocalization. Professor Blitz also shared three main concerns with the merger. First of all, the importance of establishing and re-establishing shared governance uh, between faculty and administration, which is essential in higher education and in particular public higher education. Uh, secondly, faculty control of curriculum and pedagogy, including the mode of delivery of courses, because faculty are the experts by their education and their experience in that area. Uh, thirdly, an issue that has not yet been resolved, which is the continuation of campuses at the 12 sites where previously there were independent or autonomous colleges. It's been six years now since uh, Students First has been initiated. And I would suggest, it's a personal suggestion at this point, that the Board of Regents guarantee the persistence of campuses at the sites of the current 12 colleges, at least for a period as long as that, i.e. to the end of this decade, so that the faculty and the students and the community can be assured that there will be, continue to be in-person campuses in their communities and in their localities. Many thanks to our intern and Middlesex Community College student, Taylor Doyle, for collecting those faculty and staff voices. Coming up, Dr. John Maduco, president of the new Consolidated Community College, talks about his vision. This is Disrupted. Stay with us. Welcome back to Disrupted. I'm Kalila Brown-Dean. This hour, we're talking about Connecticut's move to consolidate its 12 community colleges into one system. Dr. John Maduco took on the role as president of the new Connecticut State Community College back in June. Dr. Maduco, welcome to Disrupted. Yeah, thank you so much. Happy to be here. You're relatively new to the state, less than a year. Welcome to Connecticut. But you have stepped into this position at a time of tremendous change for community colleges here in the state of Connecticut. So before we talk about the sort of impact or potential consequences, let's take a step back and share yeah. for our listeners, what does it mean to merge these 12 community colleges into one? It is historic, right? It's, you know, um, it's immense change for everyone involved. And it's been um, over the past seven to eight years, right? So there, there's been a lot of impact, um, both good and and also concerning for people. Um, so that's what it's meant. But you know, we're rounding third. You know, we want to wrap this up, come the end of June, and get that official stamp of approval. Come the beginning of uh, July next summer, you know, to really signify that hey, we completed this, but also to turn the page and say, okay, now we have to build this collectively and collaboratively. Higher education is a very complex landscape. Higher education institutions are necessarily complex. And then when you're talking about community colleges, especially in a state like Connecticut, that's relatively small, but that its community colleges have such a distinct culture characteristic, their connection to community, their connection to opportunities for people to prepare them for careers and lives. There's also the concern of what may be lost 
in that merger and that consolidation in terms of the connection to community or creating career opportunities for people? How do you navigate that very real concern with this idea of creating a merged system that may perhaps streamline some of the functions? Yeah, that's a great question. And I'm asked about the loss of legacy and identity in the history of our 12 great legacy community colleges. I think that, you know, my approach has been one, acknowledge people's concerns, right? Let them speak openly and freely, right? Because they could be sharing, and often they are sharing what they're hearing from colleagues, what they're hearing from students and alumni and other partners. I think two, it, you know, I've made it clear, you know, I, I toured our 12 colleges over the course of about two and a half months. And I made it clear, we are not here, I am not here to erase the legacy of our community colleges. We're here to build upon the legacy and success of our community colleges, right? And really identify the best practices across the board and say, through an equity lens, if we're doing great things at Manchester Community College, from a co-curricular aspect, from an experience aspect, Let's adopt that and expand that across the state so that independent of student location or their designated home campus, they can also be afforded that opportunity, right? So it's a multifaceted approach to make sure that we are respecting and acknowledging, you know, and listening and learning, you know, from our colleagues or our, our faculty or students, but also speaking to the, the endless possibilities and opportunities for the 12 community colleges to join forces. It sounds like you definitely see this as an opportunity and or a moment to create and embrace opportunities. And I'm thinking that we've just come out of a midterm election season, a gubernatorial election here in Connecticut, where both candidates realize that students and their families, students raising their families, have options, but that they also want to make smart choices about how they invest their time, their money, and their effort, and what that means for what they need in their lives. How do you see this merger, this move, this this major change in opportunity, how do you see that benefiting the kinds of options and choices that community college students in Connecticut can make for themselves and also for their families and community? You know, the concern with higher education has been a couple of things. One, take it or leave it. I think, two, this new normal of higher education where it is volatile, student behaviors are different, students and their families are looking at the return on investment, students and their family are speaking loudly that my education is temporary, my life is a constant variable, right? So my institution, my colleges need to conform and adapt to me. And then lastly, the COVID-19 pandemic has exacerbated, I don't think it created, I think it exacerbated many of the insecurities all college students go through. So the opportunity for CT State is to re-envision student success. What does that look like? Historically, it's been, you need to be college ready. We need to flip it. We need to be student ready, right? And meet them where they are. I could be At the midpoint, that could be 90% of the way. We have to meet students where they are. We have to better understand where they're coming from. So I am a veteran or I'm active duty. I am a student parent. I am um, an underskilled or displaced worker. We have to understand that and adapt our services, adapt our communication, and really um, update, right, and expand how we engage with not only our students, but their support systems. That could be spouses, 
their children, whomever, right? So really the burden and the expectation needs to fall on us. You know, I've worked in higher education for over 20 years and not a day goes by in the work that I do now where I don't hear the terms enrollment cliff. The declining number of students who are going, it's no longer 18 to 25-year-olds that we're talking about. As you mentioned, there may be people who are looking for a different career or have been displaced. It's really changing the demographics, which means it has to change the way that we deliver education and articulate the value proposition of that educational experience. Given the unique history and place of community colleges, How would you say Connecticut's move fits with challenges, what's happening in other states and other states' community college systems? So from an enrollment standpoint, I think at the the beginning, the front end of the pandemic, it was the community college that took the biggest hit. For community colleges, the majority of our students are, are working, right? And the pandemic, right, disrupted everything. So have it be, I need to make more money. I need to work full time to sustain myself and those that I care about. Or, you know, I was paying for childcare. Childcare isn't available anymore. Well, I'm staying home. Like I, I can't go to class. I can't be full time. So we saw that. I think the past two and a half years, community colleges have been mobilizing. I think too, there is a stigma regarding community colleges. Let's let's just call it what it is. There's an air or preference for the four year that the four year institution is better. And those students have other higher caliber. And I think community colleges are just offering a different form, a different version of education, but still trying to get to those same goals. We have a responsibility to end the stigma of community colleges here in Connecticut. Because when you look at the data and when you look at all baccalaureate graduates in the United States, 50% of them started at a community college. Community colleges have been the engine to obtain post-secondary education. We just want to own it here in Connecticut. We want to be proud about that. Community colleges are student-centered and student-driven in their mission and how they carry out that mission. But I want to talk about a group of people who are also critically important to not just community colleges, but higher education more broadly, who often feel like their voices, their concerns, their uh, grassroots experience is overlooked. And that's faculty and staff, particularly in community colleges, who become frontline workers beyond the classroom, beyond the the curricular pieces of it, to really think holistically about the well-being of their students. What's been the response of faculty to this merger and to some of the plans moving forward, given all of the things that you just mentioned about the volatility and the opportunity within the community college landscape right now? The merger, the consolidation of community colleges, let's call it what it is, it has not been popular. It was highly contested. It was political, right? Faculty um, and staff, many others made their, you know, made their case on why um, they were not for it. I think our faculty have been honest and authentic in terms of what they've gone through. So during my tours, I made it clear to our faculty and staff and students, one, I'm not asking for your trust because that trust is earned. And you gain that trust through actions, right? Because we don't know each other. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a guy in a suit, this, this Nigerian-American talking about the merge. Our faculty felt that at the inception of this work seven, eight years ago, they weren't at the table. They weren't at every table. Their concerns weren't heard. Their suggestions and recommendations weren't applied to some of the early architecture of, quote-unquote, CT state. 
That's one vein. But in another vein, they've been truly supportive, right? They've wished me good luck. They've, I think, appreciated that I'm not silencing their, their speech, their thought, that I'm supporting it, and that I know each of them, faculty and staff, it's going to take time. There are different paths regarding how to heal and to kind of wait and see what this quote-unquote merger is going to look like. But for me, it's kept me on my toes. It's it's forced me to look into things, to circle back, especially if people feel that they've been mistreated. At the end of the day, the buck stops with me. So I have to look into that and I have to be objective. And if that is going on, we have to nip it in the butt. But also to have asked every faculty member, staff member, administrator, are you willing to join me to build CT State? Because I'm not here to build it by myself. There will be people who listen to this conversation and they will say, that sounds right. That sounds like the right message. His intent sounds genuine. And I really think he believes what he's saying and that he's leading in that way. And then there will also be people who will say, but our experience has been this. Our experience has been being invited to the table and then having the side meeting decide what actually happens. And so you have stepped into this position amid all of the uncertainty. You've inherited all of that. You left a very successful career to come do this work of building and repairing and restoring and thriving here in Connecticut at a time when things seem so uncertain. Do you feel like you have the structural support that's necessary for you to lead in this moment to be successful, not just for yourself, but as you said, for the college, for all of the constituents who are part of that? Because ultimately, I believe the success of our state is contingent on the success of our community college structure and system. Do you feel like the pieces are there or there are things that you're still working toward? I think from a supportive standpoint, in terms of who's in my corner, though I still have to earn their trust. A litany of faculty leaders, staff leaders across our campuses have extended their hand to me saying, I am willing to lend my support. There have been board members who have shed tears saying that I care about our students. I care about our minority students. I hate what our systems do to our students and we need to break it and build it back up. And then there have been community-based organizations and elected officials, superintendents, and business leaders who are like, we need the community colleges to be successful. They get it. They accept everybody in terms of their level of engagement and belief in just people, right? So to me, I think I have that, and, and, and that's the engine behind me. But I think structurally, I, you know, it's finding that balance, you know, uh, we'll be publishing my first 100 days report. And I kind of outline what I learned throughout my tours and throughout the engagements with people. And that leads to what I've, what I've been thinking. And that leads to our vision forward. And there has been an imbalance. There have been concerns that it's overly centralized. It's top heavy in leadership. Where is the spot for faculty and students at the table to drive curriculum, drive innovation, lend their expertise and wisdom to the construction of what's going to be CT State. So there are still adjustments that are going to have to be made, you know. And you know, during my hire, during my appointment by the Board of Regents and Terrence Chang, their directive to me was stand up CT State. Their directive was was not stick to everything that's been in place. 
and just rubber stamped it. No, they they empowered me to really go all in for the betterment of the communities and more importantly, the students that we serve. So I feel that, you know, it's 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 a mixture in terms of I have that support. I truly believe I have people behind me, but also too, like I recognize there are some adjustments that are going to have to be made ongoing in terms of our overall institutional structure. You are completing your first 100 days in this position. And so as we come to the conclusion of our conversation, I want to ask you, what's the vision or the goal for year five in this position? You know, I'll be sharing with our stakeholders that our North Star um, from now through 2030, but I love the five-year mark, will be Thrive 2030 in terms of thriving, our students thriving. I think one is the stabilization of CT State, really carving out our identity in Connecticut and also in this new normal of higher education, how the value proposition, what is it that we are providing to our communities and to every student, regardless of background, regardless of credit type, and regardless of their goal, we have something for them to get, not only get them on that path, but ultimately for them to thrive post-graduation or transfer. I think two is ensuring that our faculty are empowered to drive our curriculum, but also too, that there is a sense of belonging that you can feel and see and experience in every learning environment, in every work environment for both our students and our employees. And I think lastly is fiscal solvency. I think fiscal solvency, I think both the state and maybe state agencies, I think just the uncertainty about the finances, we have to stabilize that because we secure and stabilize our finances. We get to invest in more tutoring, invest in more co-curricular activities, invest in systems and have to be technological or physical infrastructure to ensure that our people are safe, our people are trained, our people are developed. They have the tools and resources to support students, to teach students, to guide students. And then ultimately, we are a premier community college, not just in New England, but nationally. To me, that is an institution of success that's multifaceted, and we're making everything that we do for that student, for those people, for those communities we serve. It's a powerful North Star, and we wish you the best as you pursue it. Dr. John Maduco is president of Connecticut State Community College. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you so much. I appreciate you. Disrupted is produced by Kevin Chang Barnum, Emily Cherish, and Katie Tularski. This episode was also produced by our intern, Taylor Doyle. You can listen to all of the previous episodes of Disrupted by finding us wherever you get your podcasts. Just search for Disrupted and Connecticut Public. I'm Kalila Brown-Dean. Thanks for listening.